Welcome to Fireside Breakdowns. I'm Robin. And I'm John. On this show, we break down some of the most controversial, complex, and even polarizing topics facing our society. We use honest, good-faith analysis, backed by research, to form our conclusions, and we promise to skew our bias toward what can be factually supported, and to make it clear when we're giving you our opinion versus speaking about actual research. We're human. We have blind spots and personal biases, and they will show up sometimes. But the goal of this show isn't to convince you to see things our way. We want to give everyone a foundational understanding of these complicated topics and present the most truthful information available so that we can discuss and address these issues in a thoughtful, beneficial way. We do talk about some pretty heavy stuff on this show, and we tackle topics that might feel polarizing. But we do that because we have an important goal in mind. We want to change the way that people have hard conversations, and we think that we can do that using research and discussion to create common understanding. And since you're here, we hope you want the same thing. So we suggest getting comfortable and maybe having a good drink on hand as we work through this stuff. Welcome to our fireside. Okay, so the real reason that we're here, hello everyone, and welcome back to Fireside Breakdowns for another From the Headlines episode, where we yet again find ourselves asking what the frog is actually happening in America. What is even going on here? Right. And it's been so, real talk, we did take an unexpected break um, while life did life things and we got caught up in it. and. Um, currently still in it, we might be inconsistent moving forward for a little while, yep. but we're going to do our best to, to get back on schedule. Uh, just a fair warning, the the weekly production schedule it has an asterisk next to it at the moment. Yeah, it's going to um, have to. Yeah, but uh, we're, we'll we'll get it figured out. We're just happy to be back for what we can right now, and, and uh, we're bringing this to you a little later than we intended. So a few weeks ago, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, that that charming person, ordered that 50 Venezuelan migrants be loaded onto a plane and flown to Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Um, this stunt seems to be the next sort of like hold my beer style escalation in the trend mm-hmm. of Republican governors sending or threatening to send migrants who enter the U.S. to places where officials have expressed the willingness to give migrants safe haven, kind of calling the bluff of the people who don't have to deal with them, um, allegedly. I don't know. Saying that New York doesn't have to deal with migrants is kind of ignoring the whole sort of history of New York. Yes, it's um, kind of the purpose of New York, but whatever. Yeah. New York City. New York City. Right. Um Before DeSantis, uh, Governor Greg Abbott shipped more than 10,000 migrants uh, from Texas to Chicago, also a migrant-heavy city, Washington, D.C., also a migrant-heavy city, um, and New York City between April and September as part of what he's calling Operation Lone Star. Of course it is. Yeah. You don't just get to put an operation on this shit and make it official. I know. You know, I guess everything's bigger in Texas except for their uh, empathy. Oh. Got him. Anyway, 
Arizona Governor Doug Ducey began busing migrants from his state's southern border to Washington, D.C. in May, and it has been ongoing ever since. Yes. And sure, on the surface, this is an eye roller of a stunt. Every time I think about it, my eyes roll up into the back of my head. But as we started to think more about what happens in these situations, we kind of came up with a lot of questions like, who came up with this idea and why? And what does the process look like? And is it even legal? Who's paying for all this? So this week, we're going to take a closer look at how Governors Abbott and DeSantis and Ducey from Arizona are managing to pull this off. This, so why did it start? So this um, this strange and and honestly disheartening story really starts with the polarized political discourse about immigration, especially through the country's southern border. The Biden administration has made several changes to the way that immigration policy is implemented, including attempting to repeal the controversial Title 42, which has been used to turn migrants away at the border because of COVID concerns. And growing unrest and economic instability in countries like Venezuela and Cuba has led to more people seeking refuge in the last four, uh, few years. The bottom line is that more people than ever are attempting to find asylum in the United States through our southern border, of which Texas and Arizona make up the lion's share. Right. In this fiscal year, which started in October 2021, that's how federal fiscal years work, federal officials have reported almost 2 million encounters with migrants on the U.S. border with Mexico, and more than a million of those were in Texas alone. Right. So this we wrote this before the changing of the fiscal year. In the fiscal year 21, we are currently in fiscal year 22 because it started in October again. Oh, does it start October 1st? It does. It starts For some reason, 1st. I thought it was like in the middle. Anyway, yes. No, no. So in the last yeah. fiscal year, fiscal year 21. Yes. Just to be, just to be clear. Yes. Um, so let's talk about that number, the uh, 2 million encounters with migrants. When U.S. Customs and Border Patrol reports on Border Patrol encounters, um, that number includes interactions with migrants who are apprehended and detained, even temporarily, and those who are immediately expelled. And these numbers can be inflated by migrants who are turned back and then turn around and try to cross again. It doesn't really represent a total number of migrants who remain in the United States, even though right. that's how some actors are trying to use that number. Right. Statistics, man. Lies, damn lies, and, and statistics. statistics. Exactly. One of the most notable trends this ups in this upswing is a shift in where folks are attempting to cross the border from. Um, a significant number of migrants, one article called it a flood, from Venezuela and Cuba have begun crossing into Texas between Del Rio and Eagle Pass. This area, which was typically one of the least crossed stretches of the border, has now become the most traversed section, which has forced Homeland Security officials to reposition Border Patrol agents and other resources. So... On one side, you have these Republican governors and those like them who are seeing unprecedented numbers of migrants coming into their states. 
These newcomers do require resources and potentially affect the economic and social landscape of the states they enter. And we know that the current Republican Party has really hitched its wagon to the idea that these people are dangerous invaders who <laughs> pose a threat to the communities they enter despite the fact that research shows that immigrants do not commit crime at a higher rate than native-born Americans. Then, on the other side of the conversation, you have states and cities with sanctuary policies that make it more difficult for immigrations. I'm going to start that all over. Then, on the mm -hmm. other side of the conversation, you have states and cities with sanctuary policies that make it more difficult for Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, ICE, to track down and arrest immigrants that they believe are deportable. Lawmakers and officials in many of these states have made their thoughts known on how immigrants to the U.S. should be treated. Chicago's on this list and has been for 40 years. So are New York City and Washington, D.C. Martha's Vineyard, though, is not. <laughs> DeSantis's plan seems to be motivated by the high-profile residents who have homes in the area, like the Obamas. Which, uh, I mean, gives away the whole plan there right? to begin with. You can't claim to be shipping these people to uh, cities that are more prepared to deal with them right. because they're sanctuary cities and then send them to a city that's not a sanctuary city. Right. You're like very clearly just trying to use people as political pawns you're not even treating them like people you're just they're just cargo that you're shipping across the nation to inconvenience somebody because they yeah. happen to have a d by their name well and as as we get a little bit further into the story it will become very clear i think to everyone else that one of these things is not like the other and that is ron DeSantis's move to send people to martha's vineyard um it yeah. just kind of sticks out like a sore thumb but we'll we'll get there yeah. The friction between the two ideologies, or if we were British, the two ideologies, ideologies. Um, has come to a very visible smoking point as Governors Abbott, Ducey, and now DeSantis have decided that busing migrants from their states of entry to these sanctuary locations is the best way to call attention to the burden they feel like their states are facing. Okay, so... What what are these governors hoping to accomplish here, right? Is this just a publicity stunt or is there some actual benefit to policies or actions like this? What is the purpose of sending these migrants away? Well, for the most part, these transportation programs seem to be an effort to make a statement. Shocker. Hmm. Governors Abbott and Ducey fundamentally disagree with what they consider to be inaction by the Biden administration at the southern border. And with the administration's efforts to make it, quote unquote, easier for migrants to enter the country legally. Yeah. Abbott said in a statement that he made before he decided to bus migrants to Vice President Harris's house, uh, the Biden-Harris administration continues ignoring and denying the historic crisis at our southern border, which has endangered and overwhelmed Texas communities for almost two years. He has said multiple times that he hopes that these transportation efforts will ease the burden of immigration on Texas cities. Ducey in Arizona has said that he believes that these busing efforts are necessary because Arizona and other border states are seeing little action or assistance from the federal government. These governors seem to share the perception that these migrants will place a demand on their communities that are not met sufficiently uh, with federal resources. 
When he began sending migrants to Chicago, Governor Abbott said, Mayor Lightfoot loves to tout the responsibility of her city to welcome all, regardless of legal status, and I look forward to seeing this responsibility in action as these migrants receive resources from a sanctuary city with the capacity to serve them. Uh, Ron DeSantis, though, doesn't seem to be making these same assertions for his state and its infrastructure. While he announced at a press conference that Florida is not a sanctuary state and that undocumented immigrants shouldn't expect to receive a warm welcome from the state, the migrants he flew to Massachusetts weren't trying to enter Florida. Wait, so you're telling me that DeSantis just rounded up a bunch of migrants from anywhere but Florida and then shipped them off to another city or state? That's exactly what I'm telling you. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They weren't his state's problem, quote, to deal with. He just really liked Abbott's idea and wanted to participate. So he had two groups of migrants loaded onto charter planes in San Antonio, Mm -hmm. flown to Florida for a brief stopover so he could say he was transporting them out of the state and pay for the flights with Florida's budget, and then sent on to Martha's Vineyard. So he imported migrants- (laughs) Specifically to export them. Specifically to export them. (laughs) And he did it on his own initiative. A spokesperson for Governor Abbott said, though we were not involved in these initial planes to Martha's Vineyard, we appreciate the support in responding to this national crisis and helping Texans. Governor Abbott encourages and welcomes all his fellow governors to engage in this effort to secure the border and focus on the failing and illegal efforts of the Biden-Harris administration to continue these reckless open border policies. In other words, continue finding a way to use your state taxpayers' dollars to transport people out of Texas to other places. That sounds shifty. Sounds like a great use of of my money. Mm-hmm. Mm. So at this point, you might be asking, because of, you know, I mean, misuse of, of taxpayer funds, honestly, is what it feels like to me. Yes, because of this, too. because these people are just kind of being sent around, is it even legal? And our answer to that is a very traditional, very familiar fireside Shrug. We don't know. It depends. Right? <laughs> like, truthfully, the legality of these stunts, all of these stunts, is pretty questionable. Um, the stories tend to vary depending on who you ask, and there's no surprise there. Yeah. Representatives of the state governments in question claim that the migrants participate in the busing or airlift, whatever it is, these projects willingly. In Texas, spokespeople assert that emergency management officials have been working with non-government aid agencies to ensure that migrants know their rights before agreeing to be bused to Washington or elsewhere. They say the state provides migrants with waivers to sign in languages they can understand to make sure the state isn't violating any laws. The migrants sent to Martha's Vineyard and those bused to Vice President Harris's residence are generally asylum seekers from countries like Colombia, Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua, with which the United States doesn't have strong diplomatic relationships. So it's really hard to just send people home as they await their asylum um, proceedings. 
These migrants all turned themselves into border officials and then were screened and released to wait for further legal proceedings. But that process has a years-long backlog, which means that these migrants, like many, many others, are going to have to make their own way in the United States while they wait, legally. Right. This is a legal process at that like once they have surrendered and gone through the paperwork and process they are allowed to be here while they await trial yes it's like not a big deal it's, it's like we know they're here they're, they're doing their thing yeah and so once migrants have been released by border officials and serve documents to appear in court technically therefore they are no longer in federal custody they are free to travel the united states and it's not illegal for a state government to pay for that travel. Governor DeSantis communication director Taryn Fenske said that the immigrants were, uh, quote unquote, more than willing to leave after being abandoned, homeless and left to fend for themselves. Fenske says that Florida, through this program, gave them the opportunity to seek greener pastures in a sanctuary jurisdiction with more resources. Reminder, Martha's Vineyard is not that. Literally not a sanctuary city. Literally not. Hmm. I mean, more resources, also, I'll, not, I'll give them that. Yeah, but yeah not definitely the more kind resources, of resources like... that, that people new to the United States would need. Lots yeah. of, you know, upscale boutiques. Not a lot of jobs. <laughs> yeah. And it's also just not as simple as that legally. Like immigration lawyers, legal observers, even the Bexar, Texas County Sheriff's Department are working to determine whether Governors Abbott and DeSantis broke any laws when they shipped these people off to new destinations. Yeah, that was maybe my favorite development in this whole process was the sheriff standing there doing a press conference talking about how he's pretty sure that laws were broken and they're opening an investigation just made me smile just yeah. in my heart um i mean listen there are there are cops out there who will actually prosecute the law regardless of political affiliation because they know that they took an oath and right sometimes they show up in the best places it's amazing uh, some of the Venezuelan migrants that were interviewed by the media in Martha's Vineyard said that they were not aware that that's where they were headed. Some said that they were led to believe they were going someplace to get jobs and other services. Uh, the migrants said that a woman called Perla approached them outside of a shelter, gave them food, and lured them into boarding the plane, saying that they would be flown to Boston, where they could get expedited work papers. None of these people went to Boston. Nobody went to Boston. Mm -hmm. So now, currently, there's no explicit evidence to tie this Perla character, whoever it is, with the state government or its representatives. But this is an ongoing investigation, and we don't know what might turn up. If there is evidence that migrants were lied to by state officials about where they were going or what awaited them, then the migrants could pursue tort suits for fraud or even severe emotional distress. Uh, this according to Georgetown University professor Heidi, Heidi Lee Feldman. Uh, but what the immigrants were told before they got on the bus or the plane 
isn't the only legal issue at play in this conversation. Rachel Self, who operates an immigration law firm in Boston, relayed the stories of some of the migrants to the media from Martha's Vineyard. And she said that the travelers were told there was a surprise present for them and that there would be jobs and housing waiting for them when they got there. She said that the migrants she spoke with were provided a cartoonishly simple map of Martha's Vineyard and the United States, a brief brochure containing snippets from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts website, and instructions to change their address with an organization called USCIS when they relocated. This is problematic. (laughs) This is problematic. And self called it out for that. She calls it a purposeful derailment designed to prevent people from complying with federal immigration policies because that particular agency, USCIS, isn't the one with which the migrants would need to record their new addresses. Ivan Espinoza Madrigal, the executive director of Lawyers for Civil Rights Boston, is representing some of the migrants sent to Martha's Vineyard. Um, And he said his clients were denied their constitutional right to due process since the trip to Massachusetts likely means they will be unable to attend their immigration court appointments, which will take place in San Antonio, Mm -hmm. which is in Texas. Mm -hmm. For the geographically disinclined among us, Texas and Massachusetts are not very close together. And it's very expensive to get from one to the other. And I mean, just think, just think about that. Like you're new to the United States. There's an excellent chance that English is your second language or a new language that you're trying to learn. And now you've got to figure out how to get from Massachusetts to San Antonio, Texas by a certain date. Yeah. Like that's, I live in Virginia. I don't think I could tell you how to get to Massachusetts. <laughs> Probably up and left. That's, that's about and, the best I know. Right. Like that's what I – is it right yeah. for me? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's you – know, I'll drive north and then wait until I hear cockies. Um, <laughs> Pocket cat. overly simplistic? Sorry, everybody in Massachusetts. I just anyway. like to make the accent sound. <laughs> <laughs> There doesn't seem to be a plan by Governors Abbott or DeSantis to ensure that each traveler, which they have sent or whom they ha- who they have sent to these distant lands, um, has a plan or or ability mm-hmm. to make it back for their court dates. Which you know, missing your court date is and can be used to deport you. Honestly, that's. And I I do not have statistics to back this up. This is just me inferring from a lot of reading that I've done. That is one of the primary things that takes people from being in the United States in a legal status to being in the United States in an illegal status is missing those court proceedings and not not participating fully in the legal process that you have to go through to keep you here. And generally, it is not because they're unwilling. It's because it is a very complicated process. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're navigating it in a second language. Right. Which all of them are. (laughs) Yes. 
Some lawyers have also said that federal agents deliberately listed incorrect addresses for the migrants, which would prevent them from receiving proper notifications for their immigration hearings. Again, with that one, it's kind of unclear whether any laws were actually broken there or whether there was any bad faith. It's not uncommon for a federal agent dealing with a migrant who doesn't have an address in the United States to list the name of a homeless shelter or a resource center in the destination to which that person says that they're headed. Honestly, though, whether or not laws were broken, there's little chance that we'll see either governor prosecuted for a crime. Currently, no evidence has surfaced that the migrants boarded the flights or buses unwillingly, and that's key for any criminal allegations. And let's face it, uh, even if there are pretty strong indicators of criminality, like, I don't know, stealing classified documents, (laughs) uh, it's really, really unlikely that they're going to be charged criminally anytime soon. (laughs) Yeah. It seems to be a whole lot harder to prosecute people once they hit a certain level of political appointment or election, but that's none of my business. Okay. I mean, it's literally, you're a citizen of these United States, it's literally your business. No, I mean, it was like, it's Kermit the Frog, not my business. Like, it is actually Mm. my business, but... Okay, so how much does all of this cost? And who foots the bill? Because this... This can't be cheap, right? Nothing about this process is inexpensive. As of August 18, Texas had paid a total of, ready, $14,116,303.33 to a single company called Win Transportation to bus more than 10,000 migrants from Texas border communities to Chicago, Washington, D.C., and New York City. This includes everything from the cost of the drivers, fuel for the buses, and private security. And that means each migrant being bussed out of Texas is costing the state about $1,753. According to the records, the most expensive part of these trips are security personnel, which does not surprise me in the least. When charged the Texas Department of Emergency Management... $61,200 for security guards on May 20th, a day when 19 migrants arrived at the nation's capital. A senior spokesperson with TDEM explained that the state saw security as a necessary precaution to take in order to protect passengers and drivers as they make a cross-country trip, noting the immigrants could easily become targets. I mean, I guess I'm grateful for that. Like, I'm I'm grateful that there was security there to protect them in case somebody decided to to be terrible. But bullshit. Yeah, I mean, like sixty one thousand. There, I put so many zeros there. Uh, Yeah, I'm really hoping. I'm really hoping that I I made the right correction there, and it is sixty one thousand two hundred and not six hundred and twelve thousand. No, it's the sixty one. I just okay was. My my Adderall was working real good, and I was typing all the zeros that day. All the zeros. Here's uh-huh. the here's the thing. Here's the problem with this. Like, oh, we're doing it for their security to protect them. Okay, who is so demonizing these people that they would become the targets of anybody to take out their frustration? Mm-hmm. 
Also, they wouldn't like, be targets if you were not holding press conferences announcing that you were going to put them on a bus and send them to Washington, D.C. because nobody would know it. And that's my point. Like, you're hiring security because you're intentionally making them targets. Exactly. And I don't even believe that that's why you're hiring security to no. begin with. I believe they're hiring security because they are afraid that these migrants are going to, like, run away Right. And like disappear into America somewhere. And I don't know. I don't replace the white people. Right. Ask Tucker Carlson about it. I don't know. Which, like, it's that's not, it's actually not unheard of. Not, not for these organized efforts, but in my reading about this, um, I, I learned that very often migrants who come into the United States will get on buses or be put on buses by, organizations or aid agencies uh, to go to a particular destination and then kind of gradually as the bus stops and makes its way there's this attrition that happens in different places um so that that is likely exactly why they hired security but that's totally or, legal or if it, it is totally legal but they yeah. it doesn't make as big of a splash in. if your bus gets there and there's nobody on it right yeah well yeah I know, but again, th like these are human beings human with their beings. own free will and should be allowed to make whatever decision they want to make, not forced to stay on a bus until they get to your predetermined political punching bag. Exactly. Like, I just, I'm, I, this whole story makes me completely irate, just completely irate. And there's a little skeptical part of me that wants to be like, oh, well, who at Wind Transportation is related to somebody in the governor's office? $14 million to one single company? You got to be That's... excellent to win that kind of contract, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, the skeptical that's part of my heart. thought process. Yeah. But I also, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Okay. So where is all this money coming from? Right? $14 million. Where is it coming from? It is coming from state budgets that are mostly funded by taxpayers. I just punched my microphone. I've punched mine three times tonight, so you're in good company. <laughs> in Texas, the funds are coming from money appropriated by the legislature for border security under QI Roll Operation Lone Star. <laughs> the governor's online donation portal is also open for anyone to chip into his initiative. You can just go online and help pay for this. And as of August 31, the Border Transportation Fund had raised $303,481, covering a little over 2% of the total cost of this initiative. Wow. That's five days of security. Good job. In Arizona... Governor Ducey has spent somewhere around $4 million to bus more than 2,000 migrants from his state to Washington, D.C. since May. That, that number is probably higher now because, yeah. again, we started researching this several weeks ago. So. Yeah, in the middle of time. According to the state's contract with AMI Expeditionary Healthcare LLC, each busload costs $82,146 
and includes the cost of the bus, two paramedics or EMTs per bus, multiple drivers, and three daily meals for the passengers. At least they're feeding them. Yeah, I'm not, I mean, I'm not mad about medical care. I'm not mad about, yeah. and they're like, they have multiple drivers, they're making sure it's safe. Hooray. <sighs> the people that Could you're be treating worse. as pawns are at least being kept alive. Right. Forgive me if I am not overly exuberant in my celebration of providing basic human needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, Ducey has said that he plans to send the bill to the Biden administration, which I would love to see the mechanism he is going to use to officially send that. Mm-hmm. It's not like you can just like knock on the front door of the White House and deliver a going to send like, a venmo uh, invoice bill? he's going to be like yeah, okay. request for payment on venmo send it friends and family yeah. so i don't have to pay the fees right exactly yeah um but for now the 2200 the state pays to transport each migrant comes out of the state border security fund taxes taxes most likely i didn't look up the exact funding mechanism for the state border security fund but i right. wouldn't be surprised it's it's taxes it's all taxes. it's taxes I, I just want to know what be, like, kind of name is expeditionary healthcare. Like, did they just pick words and put them together? It sounds very cool. Like, we go forth. Right? On adventures. I feel like expeditionary, like, I, that would be a company that I would hire to go with me if I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro in case I got altitude sickness. Like, that's yeah, what that sounds, sounds like. like. Not like we drive buses. <laughs> I, I don't know. That's just me. Um, in Florida, which, you know, has just no business sticking their nose in, the money is also coming from an appropriations bill, which is funded by taxpayer dollars. That bill includes a section that allows the state to use $12 million to, quote, facilitate the transport of unauthorized aliens out of Florida, which is exactly why DeSantis first spent money to fly the migrants from Texas to Crestview in Florida's panhandle. And then from there, his office was able to transport the people to Massachusetts. Um, But I'm still not sure if that initial hop from Texas to Florida is covered in that 12 million or who's going to pay for that. I couldn't like nobody was really digging into the money that much when we were doing this research. Yeah. Um, but you know, somebody should because if the if the if that bill specifically only says to transport the unauthorized aliens out of Florida, right. right? If it doesn't authorize getting them into the state, then the taxpayers need to get a refund for their money, <laughs> right? They like need to I'm, be issued some sort of credit, or I don't know how that yeah. would work, but or like it needs to just go spending, back in the general budget. Somebody like maybe DeSantis could pay for that out of his pocket. I don't know. Yeah. Out of his campaign funds, maybe. Because that's the whole purpose yeah, of this smart. exercise, if you ask me and my skeptical self. Oh, yeah. It's for the midterms. And I bet you, after the midterms are over, yet again, the migrant crisis is suddenly going to not be newsworthy. And the buses right? will probably peter off. But, because yeah. if they've made their point and they're, you know, they won their elections, then why, why keep spending a bunch of money and, and going through all this effort? They don't need to. They're trying to win an election. Isn't Maybe DeSantis, like, isn't he eyeing a presidential run? 
Oh yeah, he's probably gearing up for 2024. Yeah. So this will. So go I don't. On I think that in Florida, the crisis of having to fly migrants into Florida to fly them out of Florida is probably not going anywhere. Yeah. Well, I mean, these are all governors, but they're they're trying to support Republicans running for yeah. Congress. Yeah. Well, and they everybody has their eye on 2022 midterms, and everybody has their eye on 2024. Um, the idea that any more the election cycle would follow that two year lull pattern uh, has kind of has oh, gone, gone away. We, it, it disappeared it's in 2016. Constant campaign season. Yeah. Um, constantly campaign. So, yeah, everyone's campaigning for something and DeSantis wants to be the president. And the more attention he can draw to himself, the better. No such thing as bad publicity. Right. Unless you're in PR, then there's a really lot of things that count as bad publicity yeah that's true a lot of them you know it's not bad publicity for us though what firesidebreakdowns.com dot com dot com uh listen if you want to park your car at our website for a while and read all of our show notes uh you can do that because all of our shows as always uh are researched and we put in our show notes um, those, those sources that we use, where we got the information from. So you can go and check it out yourself. Um, we also on our website have links to our socials, Mm -hmm. um, YouTube, there are videos unedited raw every week. Um, and we also have an Instagram presence that does stuff. Thanks to Robin. And also the link, (laughs) sometimes also, uh, you can find the link to our Patreon there as well firesidebreakdowns.com um if you are a patron whenever we are actually producing content you get content early Mm -hmm. we try to make it a week early sometimes it's only a day early but it is early you also get bonus content for every episode we put another 10 to 15 minutes out sometimes it's less than that but on average about 10 to 15 minutes out um and uh and you can only hear that by being a patron um it's gold guys more research more information sometimes more jokes all of it's great lots more jokes yeah um but if none of that's your cup of tea maybe please just consider leaving us a super duper cool five-star review on your platform of choice yes you can review Uh, on spotify now which is exciting it's super super simple too five stars boom done boom done um and because if we don't feed the algorithm we don't get fed new listeners and really we want more people to listen to us talk about these things because hopefully we'll all be a little better at talking about them as a society. So exactly. Yeah. Let's get to some good news. It's good news. Tell me some good I news. Yeah. I highlighted this all in my color, you but did. then I just realized I took the awkward, uh, uh-huh. awkward segue. Kind of, kind of so. wondering how that, how that would go. How about, yeah. how about I'll kick off the good news and then you can come yeah, in Yeah, how about you kick off the good news? Okay. Yeah. So this doesn't tie directly to the migrant crisis, but it could have an impact if the pattern holds across the nation. The good news this week is that Georgia's early voter turnout surpassed not only the first day of 2018 midterm levels, but the second day as well. And even more impressive, it has surpassed day two of the early voting numbers in the 2020 presidential election. Georgia had record early voter turnout from day one, but day two 
Uh, saw. saw. Day two saw. <laughs> but day two saw a 75.3% higher turnout than 2018 levels and a 3.3% higher turnout than the 2020 presidential election. 3.3% might not sound like a lot, but remember, Georgia set records for voter turnout in 2022. 2020 also. Well. Also in 2020. <laughs> there were a lot of people who voted in, in Georgia in the 2020 election. Yeah. And so the fact that there are even more voting early now, that is that's super duper. That's awesome. Um, in recent history, midterms never get higher turnout than presidential elections. And by recent history, I mean the last time midterms had higher voter turnout than a presidential election was back in 1822. Holy banana. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's... Um, I'm not going to go so far as to predict that the 2022 midterms are going to have higher turnout than the 2020 election, um, but seeing such high voter turnout now, especially in a hotly contested state like Georgia, is great. It's great. As we've said on this show over and over again, increasing or increased turnout is good for America, period. Yep. Even if it means our preferred candidate loses, assuming all things are equal and gerrymandering isn't a thing, which it is, but in an ideal world, right? Um, even if it means our preferred candidate loses, if we had high voter turnout and that was the result, it just means that democracy is working. That's all it means. Yeah. And sometimes when democracy works, your candidate loses. And it sucks. But if... Yeah, it does suck. But if it's because everybody voted and that's who the majority wanted, that's great. Yep. That's great. So, yeah, we are all for this here at Fireside Breakdowns. More. Americans have been apathetic about participating in the democratic process mm -hmm. for too long. So keep this momentum and let's get to it. If you're undecided about voting, if you've never voted before, even if you don't have faith in the system, now is the time to get out and start participating. If you don't believe in the system, go out and start working it. Work the system. Make it work mm -hmm. for you. Go fix it. But it's not going to get better if you decide not to do anything. Register now. It's not too late. Vote. Vote. Our country, our way of life, literally depends on it. Exactly. Have any final thoughts? Um, I was just going to say that if you haven't seen Stacey Abrams' debate, uh, she is one of the candidates who is inspiring this incredible turnout in Georgia. If you've never seen that woman debate, just go watch some Instagram videos because... She can, she doesn't just do that snarky debate thing where you just say something mean about the other person or dismiss their argument. She will like dismantle the argument piece by piece and explain to everyone why it's wrong. And it's just a thing of beauty. She inspires such confidence in the kind of representation we can have as Americans. Um, even if, again, even if she's not your preferred party, wouldn't we all like to have a representative that knows and understands our viewpoints and what matters to us in such a way that they can articulate it that way? So, yeah. And, and even if she's not your preferred party, having good 
representation on the other side of the aisle to challenge your candidate means that your side has to put forward better candidates. Mm -hmm. So it's good for everybody. It's good for everybody. If you have a really good challenger. Yes. It raises the bar for everyone. That's right. And if you lose because you didn't put forward a good candidate, you can't complain. <laughs> I mean, you can, but we won't anyway. listen. We don't want to hear yeah, it. Yeah, it's. We got to wrap this up. We do. It's time. It's time. We're very happy to be back. Um, thank you so much, everybody, for your patience and uh, for coming back to listen to us. Assuming you have, if you're just finding us for the first time, welcome. We're usually super dependable to get an <laughs> episode out a week. It has been a little crazy. Yeah. Um, we hope to see you next week. We probably will. Probably. We're really trying for it. And if we don't, don't hold me to any of these statements. Until next time, though, take care of each other. Thank you.